If you are interested in doing that, and you have that gift, or you're interested in seeing if you have that gift, please go see Larry Inc. He does such a great job with our choir, and amen and amen. Thank you for that. That was wonderful. If you brought a Bible, go ahead and open it to the book of Ephesians. And I promised I wouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyways. I feel like every time I get to this next section in Ephesians, I say to myself, this is my new favorite part of Ephesians. And then it changes. And now today is my new favorite part of Ephesians. And I hope that in some ways that's happening with you just in general with your love for God's word. So um, let's read this. I'll read this. You can follow along. This is beginning in chapter 5, verses 1 to... 21. The reading of God's word, let's give our attention to it. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon, sorry, the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Amen. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we ask now that you would teach it to us, that you would help us to understand it, to know what you're calling your people to, Lord, that you would be glorified through that. And so we pray to that end that you would open eyes and ears 
that we could see and hear things otherwise we could not, and that through your spirit, or would you change us? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said at the beginning, we're, we're going to be talking in this section about really a major theme that Paul's been touching on throughout this entire book, but it, 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 it's really kernelized in the statement, what, what fills us controls us. What fills us controls us. And we can think about that in sort of a num, num, another of, or a number of obvious ways. We can think about, you know, maybe like food and drink, which of course Paul alludes to um, what happens when we have too much of something, wine in this case. Um, we become drunk and that, that ultimately is what controls us. Food, excess food, right? If I want to do what my heart says is right and true, which is consistently eat uh, crispy chicken sandwiches from McDonald's, which is what I want to do. Um, I, that's going to control me at some point, which will probably look like being in a hospital somewhere. Uh, my wife, as we were talking about this, just thinking through examples of this, she just <laughs> she said being pregnant. Um, yep, what fills this controls this. Okay. Um, but it's also, so there's the physical, there's also, you know, words really have this type of impact on us. And I, 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 I go back, when I think about the Lord of the Rings and the whole trilogy, and I think about the two towers, right, there, there just isn't, for me, um, a, well, I just love the example of the, the scene there where Wormtongue is poisoning the mind of King Theoden. And then, you know, as you see King Theoden, you see what that does to him. And it's just a, a, a graphic image, really, of... Of, of what words and what lies do to us. And part of this section that Paul is talking about, he's touched on it in other books, but we, we think about his call, right? In Romans 1 and 2, right? As we are to be living sacrifices, to do that, we are to be in the process and, and working towards the, the transforming and the renewing of our mind. Why? Because what fills us controls us. And if we begin to think about what those things are in our life that control or fill us, we will probably begin to see that that is actually true. And a lot of a lot of what fills us and a lot of what controls us isn't good stuff. And some of it is brought on by narratives that have happened in our past. That scripture is constantly trying to break into and deconstruct and reconstruct. Um, I, I was thinking about a family in my previous job, um, previous church that I worked at. They had been married for almost 20 years, four kids, and um, on the brink of divorce. And what came out, at least with, with the woman in the situation, and, and the man had his own issues, and that's another story. But it's, it was really interesting. She got to the bottom of some things in her life, and what she basically, the way she would describe it is, she had, some, she had some past experiences before she got married that she wasn't proud of that brought a lot of shame on her. And at some point, the narrative of, well, you're just not worth it, began to just run, you know, rent-free in the back of her mind. And as life experiences happened and as she got married, whatever consequences came into her life, however her husband would treat her, whatever her kids would do, this would just reaffirm that narrative of, you're not worth it. This is what you deserve. 
And it took her till she was 44 to realize that. What fills us controls us. And that could be, again, food, water, it could be words, it could be a narrative that you're running in the back of your mind that tells you this is who you are. And what Paul wants to do at this section is he's continuing to flesh out the implications of what really does fill us, which is Jesus, which is his spirit. He comes to this point where he begins to give all of these indicators of what this actually looks like, that you are to be imitators, that you are light, right? And that you are to be filled with the spirit, that you are filled with the spirit. And because that's true, this is what controls you. And as he does this, he forces us to ask this question, which I'm going to put before us the entire time. Are you even aware of what is filling you? And perhaps maybe this morning we come back to or we are are, are addressed in that question, not with the shame stories of our past that certainly need to be addressed, but again, over and over and over again, what is true of you if you are what in Christ? That is the spirit of of Jesus that fills you. And so go on being imitators. Go on being light. Go on being filled. So I want to look at three things in this passage that hit at that topic. It's it's the warning in the passage. It's the reminder in this passage. And it's the encouragement in this passage. Okay? So if you're taking notes, the warning in this passage, the reminder in this passage and the encouragement in this passage as we consider what Paul has for us, for what it means to be filled with something, for what we are filled with controls us. So let's look at that first one, the warning in this passage. As we look back there at verses 5, beginning of verse 5, you know, there's, I can get into the structure of it, but we're going to start here at verse 5 where he talks about, um, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And Paul will say something very similar in Colossians 3, 5. He'll say, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Both those letters were were written very, very closely to each other. But that there, that's the warning that Paul has for us there in the passage. And that warning, it comes sort of in two ways. One, of being filled with something other than Christ. That's his sort of first warning to the Ephesians. And the key word for, the, for us this morning there is verse 5. It's the word for idolatry or idolater. And, and just a recap, what is idolatry? Well, we can talk about it in a number of different ways, but it's the worship of something else other than God uh, other than the God of the Bible, it, it is being, to use what we're talking about this morning, is being filled spiritually with something other than the Spirit of Christ. Because that is what controls you. Put it in another way, idolatry is taking something of this world and making it the ultimate thing. And when we do that, we are saying, this is what controls me, this is what I live for. Lots of ways to talk about idolatry. Right, but Paul gives three general characteristics here in verse 5 of what this looks like. He talks about the sexually immoral or pornos, which is what that word, where that word comes from, the unclean, and the covetous or greedy. 
Now, why these? It's certainly not all of them, but why these? Well, in a sense, they are sins of consumption. They are sins of consumption. Idolatry is the reversal, if you want to think about it, of the creator-creation distinction. Instead of God being at the center and what all of our lives revolve around, right? Idolatry puts something else at the center. And that is what we revolve around. And when we engage in that, uh, when our hearts latch onto something and put it at the center of our life, right? We basically, it basically says to us, feed me, feed me, feed me. Give me more, more money. Let me have that. More pleasure, right? More fill in the blank. It controls you, and that's Paul's point. Right? When we think about greed, for example, which I'm picking that one because I think in our context we might sort of latch on to the sexually immoral uh, component of this, which is another one to talk about. But when we talk about greed, I don't know if we talk about that enough. But it's simply just saying when money or material possessions become your God, when money is what sets your heart on fire, your life what just revolves around it. That's idolatry. Greed is now your master and everything in life, friends, people, family, job, education, it becomes a means to the end of what your heart desires and wants. You have to have this thing to feel validated, to feel successful, to feel affirmed, and it now sets the trajectory for your life. Same thing with sex or pleasure, but this is why the Bible uses the word slavery when it comes to sin or idolatry, right? That thing, whether it's greed, whether it's pleasure, whatever it is, that's your master. That's what controls you. And why does it control you? Because it is exactly what you are filling yourself up with. So this is where Paul's coming from. So he warns the Ephesians, right? Idolaters have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Why you're filled with something other than Christ. But it's also a warning of lifestyle, which I think, just to hedge off some things that we might conclude from the text like this, it's a warning of lifestyle or what many refer to as a steady diet of being filled by something other than Christ that ultimately shapes your life, shapes your lifestyle. If we continue with verses 6 to 8 there, if you look at that, let no one what deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience, Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. There's no doubt that the, the lifestyle that I'm sure many of these Ephesian Christians, right, that they came, what they came out of was full of what Paul essentially just describes here as darkness. And just from what we know of the temple of Artemis or Diana, it's combination of promised prosperity and fertility and the regular life practices of people in the temple like, gives us insight to the rhythms of their life and the lifestyle and the things that they ultimately what? Filled up with in order to get money, in order to get whatever, you know, pleasures and all these things. And you can imagine um, and even we have record of the, the, the practices that would take place at that temple, which Paul certainly has in mind as he speaks of, or it's not even worth even talking about what they do. Paul goes on to talk about, you know, don't let anyone deceive you, which implies people, what, deceiving them. 
And you can imagine people saying, you know, what you do with your body doesn't matter. You want wealth, give to the gods, and they can make you prosper, like all these things. But then Paul says, don't, don't partner with them. Now, what does he mean by that? Don't partner with them how? Well, we know from 1 Corinthians 5.9 that Paul is not saying to cut off all association with non-Christians or with pagans. That's not what he's saying. But what is he saying? And this is important because this is going to help us understand where he goes from here. He's talking about joint partnership. He's talking about fellow members. He's already talking about how Christians are fellow members of the body, right, connected to one another. And he's saying that because that's who you are, you are not to go to practice such things that make you joint members of, of, of these people. This would be engaging in a lifestyle of the immoral behaviors and practices that he has already mentioned because what, you are no longer joined to them. You are joined to Christ. There is something very powerful about the sins of the body and the sins of the heart that greed and sexual practices point to because it makes you what partners with that thing. I think this is one of the biggest misconceptions of our culture that, you know, if we just talk about sex for a second, that I can do whatever I want to and there aren't any consequences. We call that college, right? It's sort of this time of amnesia. I can go and do whatever I want to and I'll just graduate and, and there'll be no consequences. It's the foolish, most foolish thing in the world. Um, I don't think we are close to being aware of how powerful things like our sexuality are and their purposes um, and, and their intent and what they actually do to us and how they shape us and how they're designed to draw us closer to one another. Having said that, as Paul talks about, do not partner with them. It is not in the, in the way of association as if they're not to do business with them. Of course, if the business practice is, is, is immoral, that's not one thing. It is do not partake of the lifestyle that they live out. It is a complete breaking in that way. What they are doing in many ways is an IV into their heart and what it fills them with are these things that, that, that are not of you anymore. Okay, so let me be clear though about what Paul is not saying just before we move this topic here because again, the warning is as, as idolatry is described in, in, in scripture, idolatry is this, the practice of what filling yourself with something other than Christ. And these practices and this lifestyle Right, this, is, this is what it ultimately looks like as you continue in this direction, but that is not who you are. But what, let me be clear about what, this is not, what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying uh, if you have been greedy or if you have been sexually immoral, you no longer possess the, the kingdom of God. Just feel like that needs to be said. He's not saying that. He's not saying, uh, you know, if you are currently caught up in sins of the Bible and the heart, that make you a slave to them and something else other than God is your master, and then, then you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God if you are currently caught up in that. He's not saying that, that you don't have any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now, what he is saying, and what I am certainly saying is, well, maybe not yet. Because it all starts somewhere. And his point is that I'll come back to last week. Don't make peace with it. It's the steady diet that kills you. 
Don't make peace with it. Don't brush off right, the, the ways that we are slowly consuming on a, on a regular basis, right? maybe just crumbs at this point, of the things that will completely destroy you. And of course, though, just to, 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 to close the loop on this, the reason Paul is not saying, saying what I just said, right? the reason why he's not saying this is because Christians are not perfect people who get rewarded for being perfect. Christians, right, are repentant people who get rewarded because of the work of Jesus that becomes theirs by faith and thus makes them perfect. Not in this lifetime, right, but in the one to come. Don't fall into that trap. If I've said something this morning and it has shown light on, on practices in your life that, that, that Paul is alluding to here, right, th- this is the moment of Repentance. He is not saying, if you are practicing that, that you have no way of being rescued or way of being, being led out, so to speak. Repent. But it all starts somewhere, doesn't it? None of us, and this is one of the things about the themes of, of, of the sins of the body, right? None of us sort of wakes up in the morning and immediately, you know, and I'll just, I'll use, I'll use the example of an affair. And, and one of the reasons why this is such a, a toxic sin is because by the time that activity has actually happened, right, so much of your mind has been shaped and changed that it's, it's indicative of, of everything that you now are doing. And what he is saying is, is that in that example, right, what fills you controls you. Okay. He's not saying these things. <laughs> he's, not, he's not talking about partnering with this. He's pointing out the fact that this is what idolatry looks like. So heed the warning. What fills you controls you. What are you consuming? What is it that your heart keeps going back to? What's the steady diet that's not a big deal to you right now? Remember, it's not just the big sins of the body or the heart, right? Like greed or sexual immorality that makes us slaves or idolaters. Need to say this too before moving on. Right, you can be a slave to morality. You can be a slave to, get to the good, to being good. Right, you can partner with your self-righteousness and just as far as it, you know, as if, as if not further, and be just as far if not further from the kingdom of God than somebody in a more visual way might be practicing. Matter of fact, Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son, right? Isn't that the, isn't that the whole point? Who actually repents and comes back to the father? It's the wayward son. It's not the self-righteous son. What are you taking in or consuming? This is, this is his warning. May we examine that before we move on. All right. This is the warning in that passage. Let's, let's look now, though, at the reminder of the passage as we uh, continue here. The reminder of the passage here is, is sort of twofold. Paul reminds the Ephesians that this is who you are. Or, sorry, Paul reminds the Ephesians that this is who you once were, but this is also who you are now. In other words, this is what once filled you, talking about darkness, but now this is what fills you light. So as we said back in chapter two, you've noticed already, this is sort of a a recurring theme for Paul. He likes to remind his people, here's who you once were, here's who you are now. And he does it again. And if we come back to the text there in verse eight, I'll, I'll I'll back up to seven. He says, therefore do not become partners with them, 
For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. In chapter 2, he said you were dead in your trespasses, if you recall. Here he is saying at one time you were darkness. Now note, Paul's not saying you were like darkness. He's not saying that you had some darkness in you. He is saying we were darkness. And in this way, he is reminding the Ephesians of who they once were. For Paul, it is necessary, though, for Christians in Ephesus to remember who they once were. For only when they do that does two things begin to happen. One, grace remains amazing. But two, they grow in humility, which is a key characteristic of living out the gospel and maintaining unity among one another, going back to the beginning of chapter 4. But it's also to understand who they are now as well. And this is more to the point of this section. Paul does not treat them or speak to them as darkness, as you'll notice. Even in, even in his warning, he speaks to them and he treats them as what? As light. You are no longer dead. You have been made alive in Christ to go back to chapter 2. right? But then to take our text this morning, you are no longer darkness, which is just another way to say that you are dead, that you are lifeless, spiritually speaking, but you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now, what does it mean to walk as children of light for us? It's, it's done by remembering what fills you now, which is the Spirit. And this leads to several things for Paul. This is the remembering of the text, right? So this is who we once were, but this is who we are now. And the first thing that, that, we, that this does for us is it. it and, and being light is it means we have the ability to discern what is pleasing to the Lord as we look at verse 10. And why do we have the ability to discern what is pleasing to the Lord? Well, because the Spirit has filled us and has opened our eyes and our ears to what is true. We are no longer dead or darkness. We have the light, and that means we are able to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, which also implies this won't come naturally or without effort. But then Paul turns to the offensive there in verse 11. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. What's Paul saying here, right? It's actually really interesting when we start to get into it. He's saying, walking as children of light, as those filled with the Spirit naturally exposes darkness and it does it in two ways. One, to our non-Christian friends, it does it by our example. By not partnering with them in their practices, sort of what we just talked about. But two, to our fellow Christians or to, to those we are with in the church, right, we are light to them by our testimony. So let me, let me give... Some examples of that. First, by our example, what does he mean uh, to be light to them, right? Exposing what is dark. Well, when the Ephesians stopped temple worship, just think about it practically, when they stopped that, when they stopped participating in pagan practices, when they had to burn all their idols, right? When the blacksmiths came out and rioted because now business is going down the tank. We see that in Acts. When they stop engaging in greedy practices, when they stop living with themselves at the center of everything, they naturally what? reflect something that shines light on darkness because it's truth. They're living out of a different na narrative. You see that? Right, college was, you know, always seemed to be um, the place where these lines were drawn, and I'll use a simple one. 
But, you know, in college, or you, at least where I went to college, and maybe part of it being in the South, and I don't, I don't know, but drinking was just a big taboo subject. And so when somebody would say, look, I'm not going to go out and get drunk with you every, every night or every weekend now, I'm done with that. Right? We weren't able to name it, but there was sort of this line drawn. And, and there was this, by this practice, right, what you were what, making a judgment, essentially saying that what you are doing is wrong. I'm not doing it anymore, whether you said those things or not. You might even say that they felt conviction, right? People felt convicted by what you would, by, by saying that, because it meant they had to deal with their own actions and what they're deciding to do. That's just a simple example. But this is what Paul means by being light. When you go out and live this way, when you, when you don't live as, as, as the pagans do, talking about Ephesians, but when you go out and live in a way that, that, that is, you know, exemplifies the way of our Lord, when you are imitating God, you are naturally putting light in dark places. Okay, that, that's example. That's not all the ways to do that, but that's what he's getting at, right? But he, he's more concerned with what's going on here, and this is really what I want to jump to. You, you become light in your testimonies. And what do I mean by that? Well, when you sit down with somebody and you share with them the ways that God has been at work in your life, when you begin to find words and courage and, 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 and confidence to talk about the way God has restored you from your past shame, your, your, the narratives of sin that, 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 that captivated your heart, what are you doing? You're shining light in darkness. How many times have you sat with somebody and had a conversation like that and walked away feeling, well, that was convicting? And we, we kind of laugh at that because we, we know that feeling. Sometimes we'll walk away from it feeling like, man, I just got converted. <laughs> that person really spoke truth in, in, into the reality of what the gospel is because they shared their life. That is light coming in to darkness. We have to have that in here. And I'm pressing hard on this because I'm not sure we feel like that is the right or safe thing to do here. And certainly it takes a, 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 a lot of discernment. There is an appropriate way to do that. But your shame story, your sin, your, your practices of greed are actually the things God wants to do to grow me, to grow you. Because he is changing you. And that change is what Paul is talking about as being light. You want to keep that from me? Don't. Please don't. Shine that light into the darkness of my life where I'm maybe not paying attention to that. Maybe, maybe I do need to come to Jesus again over certain areas of my life that you're talking about. You all get what I'm talking about? You see what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> This is, this is how you walk as children of light. It is so powerful. Yet we, we push this to the margins in the church because we're not allowed to walk in here with our brokenness. This is a place where we, where we act like we have it all together sometimes, where we, you know, this is where we shape up. And I'm not saying we do it necessarily here in this service, but what are we doing as a church family, if nothing else, than, than, than being light for one another? I have no idea where I am. But this is Paul's point. 
And I want to encourage you in that. I want to encourage us to go on being light, exposing darkness. It is not a one and done thing that, that when Paul talks about light and darkness, that if I'm converted, then therefore the, the, all the darkness is gone. We, that's sanctification. It is the working out of those things in our life, okay? Here's where I'll land the plan with the second point. What keeps this walking, though, as it were, attractive? What keeps the testimony of sharing our lives with people attractive? He's already said it back in chapter 4. It's humility. It is humility. And how is that cultivated? Come back to the point from remembering who you once were, but who you are now because of the grace of God. You too were darkness, but now you are light. And you did absolutely nothing for that to happen. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is God's work in your life. And the more we remember that, this is going back to the point, the more, the more we traffic in that, keep a foot in that, if you will, the more humility grows in us and the more we become a place that appropriately welcomes and is a safe place to share, right, stories of God's rescue and redemption in our life, that light may come into darkness. I feel like I need to say this at this point. This is not a license for you to rush out and grab the, your next best friend here and just sort of vomit everything that has gone on in your life. I think you hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that. But there is a degree of knowing one another and being confident in the Lord to share our stories of the things that once, you know, either were practices in our life or things that we have experience with, but that we do have redemption and restoration to point to. And I think that's actually a good indicator. You know, sometimes we become aware of things in our life and we're ready to talk about it. Don't. Talk about it with your disciple, whoever's discipling you, whatever uh, shepherd is over you, close friend you trust. But until you can clearly see redemption in your life, that this thing no longer has control over you, are you really ready to begin sharing that? Because we need both of those things. Light is that restoration. It's not just the illumination, the, the, the seeing it. It is actually the change. And I'll go back to putting off the old and putting on the new. Okay? All right. But we do that by being humble. And how are we humble? Right? We remember who we once were and who God has made us by his grace. This is the reminder in the passage. I love how he just sort of slides this in here. All right, and this sets us in the directory now, the last thing, the encouragement in the passage, and this is 15 to 21. Paul urges discernment and wisdom for doing what is pleasing to the Lord. This is verse 15 to 17. That is a topic in and of itself. But in verse 18, he says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, or literally go on being filled with the Spirit. What does this mean? Well, there's much confusion about this because being filled with the Spirit comes in different measures in the Bible. There's the Spirit-filledness that comes at Pentecost, for example, that indwells believers upon conversion. Everyone gets the same Spirit and the same amount of the Spirit, if you will, at Pentecost or at conversion. Paul's already said a couple of times, you are sealed by the Spirit, right? Therefore, there aren't degrees of being sealed as it pertains to your salvation, all right? Let's draw the line there. However, what he is saying 
is that there is the ability to go on being filled by the Spirit. That implies what? A richer communion with the Spirit, as in any relationship you might have with a friend. Think about the effort and the time you might put into that relationship. You can say, in one sense, you are being filled with that person. If the Spirit is a person, as we said last week or two weeks ago about grieving the Holy Spirit, how are you filled with the Spirit in this sense? The same way you would with a friend. Quality time. Spend time with the Spirit. Pray. Read your Bible, right? It's the Spirit of Christ. Think about, think about this. Think about a time that you have had just wonderful time with your, your closest, dearest friends, whoever they may be. They may be here, they may be somewhere else. And, and just think of a time where you've sat around the table, you had good food, good drink, good conversation. How did you leave there? You left full. I'll go ahead and tell you how you left there. You left full, right? Um, we, we use the phrase after going to be with people that we haven't seen in a while that are dear friends, right? My heart is full. And that fullness is, as Tim Keller would note, a place of complete affirmation. Right? The best relationships, the best relationships are ones where all insecurity is gone. Am I right? All competitiveness, all envy is put aside. It's a place of being known, of being understood, but it's also a place of being enriched. Right? You're not just giving, right? Like they're giving, you're taking. It's being enriched uh, by their company. Well, the Holy Spirit is the same, y'all. That's, that's at your fingertips. Being filled with the Spirit should be our habit Bach even puts it this way. He says, the idea of filling in this context describes an effective, controlling presence. Again, the present imperative speaks of a habit of life. So the encouragement for Paul here then is at this point, right, keep on going being filled. And it's the encouragement of treating you as people of the light, but if we go back to the beginning, right, the encouragement at this point is what fills you controls you. That's the warning. Here's what once filled you, and here's what, what, what fills you now. That's the reminder. But go on being filled. Take advantage of this company you now keep with the Spirit of God. That's the encouragement. So the theme of filling, right, fullness, as we mentioned, he's mentioned this five other times in this book. If that didn't come out to you, go back and read it and catch them. It's great. But what, what's the point for Paul here, right? It's, it's, it's love for your brother and sister in Christ. And it comes back to what fills us, controls us. And if the Spirit of Christ is filling us, love will control us, and this will set the community of God's people on fire. And that's Paul's point. We are in Christ. This is the working out of that. We are light, not darkness, because of his work in our lives. He is in us. We are filled with the Spirit. Thus, he is what controls us. Which means, as we talked about last week, you have the abundant amount of resources to appeal to for that. Therefore, the truth in the passage is the encouragement in the passage, which is go on being filled by his Spirit. Okay, one, 
one, and we're going to get the application here. One of the reasons why this is important for us is because only those who are filled with the Spirit, who go on being filled with the Spirit, right, have something to give to others. This is, this is where he's going. Right? This is application, right? Of what fills you, controls you. If you don't have the Spirit, if you're not going on being filled by the Spirit, right, we talk about this in plain text, I'm just empty. doesn't mean your salvation's in, not, you know, threatened. It just means, what, what have you been putting in? I know uh, talking with pastors, it is um, a regular process to go away whether to just consume a bunch of reading to get filled up. Sometimes it's to go be in a place of silence. It's, it's, it's something on a regular basis where they are what? Being filled up so that they have something what? To give. It's in that sense. And, and if we're not being filled up, Paul is gonna argue you have nothing to give. And here's how he does it. And this is fascinating. Paul is actually making a play on words here in verse 18 as he gets to the being drunk or being filled with wine as opposed to the spirit, All right? This is not a proof text for don't get drunk. However, don't get drunk. But if you make it a proof text for don't get drunk, you're gonna miss what he's saying here. If he was just saying don't get drunk, he would add something, you know, considering his formula uh, to the effect of but be sober-minded, Right, don't get drunk, but uh, you know, drink in moderation. But what does he say? Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And instead, he likens the drunkenness to debauchery, and he sets that against the Spirit. Debauchery, um, not sure what you know about that word, but um, <laughs> it's, it's strong. But it's, what is, it, 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 it's another word for what is empty. It's another word for that which has no life. And now you see where he's going with it. That which cannot be life-giving for you would be another way to put it. In other words, you either are filled with Christ, which is life, or going back as an idolater, are filled with something else that has no life. You see that? And if you're filled with what is empty, right, what has no life, like, like being drunk, like too much wine does to us, then you have nothing to offer anyone else. Certainly in the way of love to the body of Christ, but with the Spirit, what you have life to give. Think about it this way. Paul is saying, right, and we think about being drunk or filled by wine versus the Spirit. One of those, right, is life-giving and pleasing to those around you, and the other, though, renders you incapable of giving life to others or being pleasing to those around you. One of those secures you and affirms you like the closest of friends. The other, what, renders you out of control and actually depresses. One builds you up and strengthens you in the midst of trial and difficulty. The other numbs and it weakens your sensibilities. It is the spirit, Paul is saying, that, it, that gives life, that secures, that affirms, that builds you up, which is how you will be able to be pleasing to those around you. But being filled with something else, right, being drunk with something else renders you out of control, insecure, without anything to give to anyone else. And this is why the gospel, friends, is the only thing powerful enough to actually fill you up so that you can give to others. Because Jesus is the only one who knows your deepest wounds and is still able to say you're mine. He's the only one 
who looks at you and says, you're not ugly to me. You're treasure to me. You're my bride. Right? Jesus is the only one who can heal your insecurities because his love is the deepest kind. It's a, it's a love that went to the cross for you and died for you. He took your shame and covered you with his love in exchange. Jesus is the only one who can truly affirm you in the deepest part of your soul. And how does he do that? He does it by calling you the beloved. The beloved. You're, you're his beloved. Us believing that, that's another sermon, but that's what he calls you. Who doesn't want to be filled up with that? And the more you're filled up with that, the more you have, what? Something to give to others. This is how this body works. This is how his church works. Have you ever been around an extremely drunk, intoxicated person? That's rhetorical. Did they have anything to offer you in that moment? This is his example. It is a, it is, it is, it's a brilliant metaphor. Did, did they affirm you? Was that fun? No, you had to babysit them if you've been in that situation. Those who are filled with the Spirit, who go on being filled, have something to give to others because they are filled with what, what is life-giving. And I'm out, I'm out of time, I know, but this is then what he says at the end here, and we're going to pick this up next week. How do I know this is happening? What is being controlled? Um, what, what does being controlled by the love of Christ look like? Right? It looks like a heart that's full. And what does a heart that's full look like? It's a heart that sings. We, we could have another sermon on that, right? Both, both the vertical worship of songs and hymns and spiritual things, but the horizontal worship of, of, of singing to other people, that type of affirmation as well. The full heart is the one that sings, right? But it's also a heart that he says it gives thanks. And I've got to cut all this for time, but next time you are in a place of, of, of anger, bitterness, um, or even temptation, right? Take, try to take two seconds and give thanks and just watch how that erodes. It's impossible to be angry and bitter and give thanks at the same time. But why can you give thanks? Because you are no longer darkness, right? Start there, right? You are light because of what Christ has given you. This is what a full heart does. It sings, it gives thanks. Oh, but it, it does something else. It submits to one another out of, cry, from, out of reverence for Christ. And this is where we're going to turn. And we're going to get into the muckety-muck of relationships, husband and wives, parents, children, slaves and masters. But this is the place he lands it. Because if we are not understanding that this is actually the place, our submission to one another is actually a, 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 an expression of what fills us, because of what controls us, and we're going to totally abuse this topic when we head into it next week. It, it, it is, I, I'm willing to go on, the, it, it is, especially in his time, but I think it's still today, it, it is the place that we see more than anything, the, the enrichment of the gospel coming out is when we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because submission requires mutuality, and you know what mutuality is? It's you and I share the same story. We share the same story. You were darkness. I was darkness. 
You are light. I am light. That's our story. And it's our story because of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And because that's true, there is mutuality. There's no longer me trying to compete or, 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 or be envious of you. I've got everything I need and you have everything you need. And, and it's because of my respect and love for Christ that I can begin to die to myself so that for the sake of others. What other way to express both what we have to offer one another, but also what becomes a model then for the rest of this world of Christ and his church. And we get to do that here, and there are other relationships where we get to do that that Paul's going to go to, but I don't want us to go there yet. We'll go there next week. This is what it means to have a full heart, to have a heart that sings, to have a heart that gives thanks, to have a heart that says, I have nothing to prove to you because my worth, my identity, my fullness doesn't come from you. It comes from Christ. He controls me. Do you want that? You want to be in a place where that exists? If so, come to him and be full. Let's consider that an invitation. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us, and we pray that as we consider the richness of it, and there's so many other things to be said, that perhaps what would stop us is how you have, in your grace, done something that we were totally unaware of and bringing us from darkness to light by coming into us by your spirit. You have given us fullness beyond all measure, a fullness that becomes the resource to be the church, so we pray that you would move us in that direction, that you would strengthen us, that you would give us the confidence even to know that we have these resources, but we, we, we have this fullness because of you and, and let us put down the things in our lives that we are running to and going to to be full, that our fullness only comes from Christ. He is who controls us. It is his love that controls us. Make that true for Wallace. Make it true for your church here. Throughout this world, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.